Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dallas Montague. Today is an exciting podcast about fear. What is your biggest fear? According to our our guest today, Mike Acker, in America, the number one fear is not death. I would assume that the number one fear is death. The number one researched fear in America is fear of speaking in public, fear of public speaking. How many times have you spoken public before? How many times have you been terrified to go and to speak in public? Maybe it was a business presentation for your career path, a speech in school. Maybe it was a toast at your friend's wedding. Fear grips us from experiencing amazing things. And so today's title of this podcast is Overcoming Our Greatest Fears. And I want to share a quick story about my experience going skydiving. Two years ago, I went skydiving. Skydiving is a very interesting way to confront your fear. And I know you're either thinking one of two things. Either one, you are crazy. I would never do that. Why would you jump out of a plane that is in the air? Or two, that sounds really intriguing. I want to go one day. And so whatever side of that you're on, whatever side of the fence you're on, I'm telling you from my experience, it's an incredible time. And so my friends and I showed up to this to this field in Nebraska. And there's not a lot of buildings, just pretty much a field. And we get there and it's this tiny little place. We actually, it's small enough you could have drove past it. And we see this place with these little bitty airplanes, this runway strip, and this building. And as soon as I get there, as soon as we arrive, we see this woman coming from the sky. She's falling from the sky with her parachute. And she comes down, she comes down, she comes down, and she lands on the floor, on the grass with the splits with her legs. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. I thought about the falling the entire time I thought about the experience, all that, I never once considered the fall. I never once considered the landing part. And being a man, I was like, this cannot be good. And so I was, I had fear. I was like, oh no, this is scary. So we sign our life away. I'm signing these papers. If I die, I won't sue. If I get injured, I won't sue. You know, all those important details. And we get inside of that tiny little airplane with no seats. I have to sit on the lap of my guy who's going to jump with me. And I was asking him, you ask him those awful questions like, oh, how many times have you jumped before? How many? How much experience do you have? And these guys think it's funny. Like this guy was, he was just playing with me. Oh, I've jumped a couple times of, oh, this is just my first year or just only three months or just crazy things just to, to heighten your fear, right? And we get up there, we get to 10,000 feet. We scoot towards the door and he says, okay, are you ready? Are you ready? And I realized, okay, this is about to happen. And they open up the door, 
And I realized I've never been inside of an airplane with the door open before, which is insane. And the wind's on my face and I'm the, just the anticipation is there. The guy says, okay, we're going to jump on three. One, two, jumps on two because three people grab on three. So just that's just their tactic is they, they jump on two. And so we jump out of the airplane and I'm falling, I'm falling, I'm falling. We do a flip out of the airplane. And it only, it only takes me one second to realize that it's the most blissful experience in my life. And I think back to that story and it's like my fear could have stopped me. My fear could have stopped me from experiencing the most amazing thing in my life. Why did I fear so much? Why did I fear the week before I went to the, to the airport? Why did I fear the night before? You know, why couldn't I sleep the night before? Why couldn't I enjoy my breakfast that morning? I wasn't even near the airplane. I wasn't even in the sky. Up until the point of actually stepping out of the airplane, there was no reason to have fear. And then all of a sudden, in the point when I should be the most terrified, falling from the airplane, falling in the sky, I'm literally flying in the air. It's the most blissful experience in my life. And something that Will Smith has talked about before is that God places the best things in life on the other side of our greatest fears. Overcoming fear is crucial in our lives. It's keeping you in your comfort zone. It's keeping you in a place afraid to step out because of fear of failure, fear of rejection, fear of looking stupid, you know, whatever it is. And so today we have a special guest, Mike Acker, and he's going to talk to us about fear. He recently wrote a book named Speak With No Fear. Go from a nervous, nauseated, and sweaty speaker to an excited, energized, and passionate presenter. And I'm really excited for this podcast today. I have a couple questions for him about overcoming fear. He's going to break down his book for us and really just talk us through how to overcome our fear. And so thank you guys for being a part of us today. If you haven't subscribed, get subscribed to our channel, subscribe to our podcast, and be a part of the family of Faith and Family Fellowship. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. In the Twinkling of an Eye by Paul Cummings is an autobiography written with honesty, simplicity, and humor, a story of God working in mysterious ways to perform wonders. Peculiar people in a peculiar way help Paul find Jesus, the Father, and himself. This is a story about what God did for Paul in the midst of sin, failure, and depression to bring acceptance, healing, and freedom from bondage. Read about how, in the twinkling of an eye, God will work in mysterious ways. Purchase in the twinkling of an eye Transforming the Heart One Miracle at a Time by author Paul Cummings at www.whipfandstock.com. That's W-I-P-F-A-N-D-S-T-O-C-K.com. Dr. Oliver R. Phillips, a retired minister and president of Culture Phillips, LLC is the author of many noteworthy books, including Nuts and Bolts, Elephant in the Room, Culture Trumps Religion, and others. Find these on Amazon or directly through his website, culturephillips.com. For more information, visit culturephillips.com today. That's C-U-L-T-U-R-E-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S.com. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us. Thank you for this podcast platform. Thank you for the social media platform in the 21st century that we're able to reach people to make your name known. Thank you for Mike joining us today. And I just pray that you anoint his words. God, you go before us. Holy Spirit, fill us up with your words. Fill us up with your courage. 
Help us to leave differently. Help us to cast out all fear that we have, God. Perfect love casts out fear. And so I just pray that we leave here differently. We leave here encouraged, full of love, without our fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Mike is a pastor, a speaker, a leadership coach, a best-selling author, over 19 years of experience in preaching, speaking, leadership development, and organizational management. Mike is known for his authenticity, his humor, his engaging presence. He specializes in fostering personal and organizational awareness, allowing the audience to personalize his presentation. His expertise is in communications and leadership, and it has drawn a huge range of engagements, including executive teams, emerging leaders, nonprofit organizations, churches, and public schools. I just shared my a little story about skydiving, and today you're going to talk to us about overcoming fear in public speaking, um, how to go from a nervous, nauseated, and sweaty speaker to an excited, energized, and passionate presenter. Yes, excited to, to do that with you guys today. Yeah, thank you for being a part of this today. It's an honor to have you. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited to go into this with your audience. Something I mentioned earlier was that the number one fear in America is public speaking. Yeah, it's amazing that out of all the different things that we're afraid of, that's the thing that people grab a hold of. Mm-hmm. When, when I read that, I thought, I assumed it would be death or fe- failure or you know, something like that, but public speaking, like I can imagine hearing that now. Yeah. You know, it's amazing that you got all these people who would rather die than get up in public speaking. And, and so uh, I've been seeing this for so many years that finally I thought, I got to help people do that. Yeah. Um, millions of people are terrified at the prospect of going up on stage or addressing a crowd even more than they're afraid of death. Like you just said, it's an unavoidable experience if you want to succeed in the world. Maybe it's a business presentation for your career path, a speech in school, a toast at your best friend's wedding, fear that grips you. However, it doesn't have to, to grip you. And so you wrote this book, Speaking With No Fear. And so I'm really excited to talk about that book for you to break that down for us. But before we begin, can you just take about five to 10 minutes to share your testimony with us? Yeah, absolutely. So my dad was a drug dealer and my mom was a witch. Wow. Okay. Let me stop you. Wow. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. My dad was in, you know, in the seventies and sixties, he was smuggling drugs. He learned how to speak Spanish so he could cut out the middleman, learned how to pilot planes so he could go down to Colombia and other parts where he could pick up the best and bring it back to the United States. He met my my mom, the woman who would become my mom, and she was a practicing witch. And he was distributing drugs at the party that she was at. And they got together and had some wild uh, adventures very apart from the Christian faith. And then when I was about four or five, my, my parents were was wrestling through some different things that had caught up with them from the drug adventures that they had been part of. And my dad had transitioned out of illegal drugs and into legal drugs. He had started roasting coffee in about 1980. And so he had a really thriving business. And, and right at the time when Starbucks was getting up and going, and, and so people were really turning into coffee. We had a coffee shop in Seattle, one of the early ones in Seattle. So things were were going really well there, but some of the past life was catching up to my dad. And my dad was a complete atheist, did not believe in God. In fact, I had tried to disprove him using his career um, 
or using his education in law when he was when he was smuggling drugs. He also did law school. So he tried to use some of that in his undergrad to really prove that God was just a farce and the Bible was ridiculous. Meanwhile, my mom actually had no idea who Jesus was, and uh, she was really leaning into the whole Eastern uh, world of religions and New Age at the time, and that was really what she was doing. She was uh, practicing transcendental meditation, attempting levitation, uh, astral projection, reading of auras, and had all kinds of statues and spell books and practiced uh, cooking, which she would infuse her spirit into cooking to produce different emotions. And so this was the life of my parents. And yet, as things were catching up, um, my parents started just reaching out for a little bit different types of help. My mom struggling with being a, a mom of, of two little kids as, as as moms can. She thought, I need a little support and put us in a a Christian daycare just that was close to our house. Eventually, she attended the church a couple of times. People made her feel welcome, and and she met some people there. So it's really important for us to be reaching out to people when we're at church because you never know who's there. Wow. And yeah. Um, yeah, so some people brought her over to their house one time, and my dad and my mom were there. And they said, wow, you're, you're so religious. You're so spiritual. That you like meditation. Why don't you practice uh, meditating on the blood of Jesus. Well, my mom didn't know what that was, but she was up to anything. And so mm -hmm. she did it. And she said, in that moment, I experienced a power unlike anything I've ever experienced. I've always felt power when I meditated, but that. So that began her Come journey on. towards Jesus. Meanwhile, my dad was uh, still wrestling with the, with some of the aftermath of being in the drug life. And uh, he he reached out and said, God, if you're real, help me. The next day, he got a, a letter uh, really, <laughs> really giving him grace and without details, really giving him grace. And then as he read that letter, he was walking across the parking lot and he heard an audible voice saying, uh, Tim, I'm Jesus and I'm your friend. So that began my dad's journey. They didn't know wow. anything about this Jesus, but we happened to be in Hawaii at the time. My sister was six. I was four or five. And we were there where YWAM, Youth with a Mission, a Christian organization. Yeah, I actually went to YWAM in Hawaii. Oh, did that's you? That's so crazy. Yeah, that's in, so crazy. In Kona? Uh, no, in Oahu. Oh, nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when the founder, Lauren Cunningham, was still very involved there teaching classes. And so mm -hmm. my, my parents jumped in. We did three months just away from job, away from everything. Um, my my dad sold the coffee company around this time as well. And so we just were full on, all hands in, jumped in, did a three-month trip to Asia where we went to Philippines and, and Japan and Hong Kong and Korea and then smuggled Bibles into China, putting the Bibles no way. underneath that's my... So that's so incredible. <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous. It's, it's hilarious to see how it all happened, right? But where that ties into my testimony is... That by the time I was five, my parents had put me into a Christian school, and I started learning about Jesus at, at school. My parents never missed church for for years. We went on Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had Bible studies at home, and uh, I had my own Bible. Read my Bible every night. My dad would read the Bible every morning, at five a.m. I'd see him there. So all of a sudden, we became this quintessential Christian family. 
and I could see my parents' radical devotion, which just as a note to anybody who's listening about that, if you're a parent and you have kids, your kids will will not just pick up what you say you believe, but the way you act on what you believe. And I saw my parents act on what they believe. So so early on, we were doing incredible ministry of soup kitchens. Uh, we did AIDS ministry in 1985, 1986, around there. Right when it first started coming out, we were going out and helping people uh, overcome um, or die with dignity since there wasn't a, anything that would really prevent HIV from, from killing them. So I saw my parents put their, their faith into action. So at a young age, I, I knew that this was real. I talked to Jesus when I was a kid. I remember one night uh, just getting on my knees, calling out to Jesus. I must have been six or seven, fully on my own. I went to some camps, and every single time they would invite people to respond to Jesus, I went forward every single night. <laughs> and and it just grew up into it. And then we went to Mexico when I was 10 years old. My dad came home. He had, after, after YWAM, he had entered into practicing law. And so we, we had a good, stable life. And he came home and said, I quit my job. We're moving to Mexico to be missionaries. So that's what we did. We moved down there. We did YWAM. And then we started a mission that really helped people um, really uh, get food that they needed, get back into school if they had gotten out of school. We built some houses, did all kinds of different ministry, hosted teams. At a young age, I was hosting mission trip teams from the United States, from churches who would come down. And I'm still involved in, in Mexico, in Mazatlan today, as part of a missions organization called GoOnTheMission.com. So I'm still involved in Go On The Mission, still involved in all of that. Um, Mexico was tough. Mexico was really tough. So this is really the turning point in my, my testimony where it starts becoming not just something I grew up with that I did believe in, but something that became mine. Uh, around 17, uh, my sister had kind of gotten pregnant early and while she was still in high school and ended up getting married. So they've been married together for 20 years now and have six kids. But it was tough seeing my sister go through that, um, see that that rebellion on my sister's side away from the values that we've been raised in, seeing some of the other ugliness that happens um, when when you work with people and some of the the difficulties. I just ultimately said, you know what? I don't want, I don't want anything to do with this. I believe in God. I just don't think I want to follow Him. And and so I started deviating from that path. But yet every night I would still just feel that that tug of the Holy Spirit saying. I'm here. And even sometimes though, I would go out and get drunk as a 17 year old. Uh, and just after a party, I would come home and still feel that call. I'm here. I love you. So eventually I, I had to come to this moment where my dad said, Hey, we're going to move back to the United States, but I know you're in your senior year about to enter your senior year. You could stay here on your own, or you can come with us. We don't want to pull you out of the life you've established. I was already accepted to do law school in Mexico. You go straight to law school from high school in Mexico. And so I was already accepted to this great school. I already had my path ahead of me. And then I had this decision. You know, Dallas, I had this moment where it was, do I go with my family and be around people that, that really embrace the values that I believe in? Or do I stay here and on the path of partying and really looking after money and and go that path. And it was about a week long decision. I was dating a girl at the time and I was sort of sometimes attending a youth group that a friend had invited me to. And 
And I paused and I sat in my car and I thought, which one do I want? And ultimately I said, you know, I believe in God. And if I believe in God, if I believe in Jesus, if I believe in the Bible, then, then I should follow it. So I made some radical decisions and left my friend group, uprooted myself, moved to the United States during my senior year and embraced church, embraced an internship, which ultimately led me down a path of ministry. That is an incredible testimony. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's I definitely to want to hear this. I'm going to hear it again. I'm going to listen through this a couple times. That's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know, Radical it's, life it's amazing when you look back and see life. And I think everyone has these amazing moments. It just becomes so normal to us. And maybe yeah. mine's a little bit more outrageous in some areas. I think all of us have these moments where we just go, wow, that that right there. And so I look back and relive that at times. And sometimes even when I'm doubting what I'm doing, I go back to that moment where I made that decision. Yeah. Thanks again for sharing your testimony. It, it encouraged me for sure. And I'm def I know it will encourage our listeners. Definitely. Thank you. And your book, Speak With No Fear. Do you want to give us a little bit of summary of that? Yeah, definitely. So about a year and a half ago, I started really coaching people outside of the church. So as a pastor of 19 years, I've always coached business leaders, coached staff members, coached interns, coached all kinds of people in, in public speaking. With my staff, we would regularly have days where we would work on their public speaking. I had already done tons of public speaking in my life. At one point in time, I was speaking, preaching five times on a Sunday. So I had lots of reps in, lots of experience. I preached on large stages, small stages. So I did a lot of coaching inside the church. But then in just a, a season of time, I thought, you know what? I'm going to start working with people outside the church in public speaking. And as I start working with them again and again and again, the number one thing that came up was, how do I overcome nervousness? How do I overcome this fear? I got a presentation to give. And we're talking Sometimes it would call a college student or maybe it's a mom giving a conversation to a mom group. But the vast majority of people I were working with were these, were these people who really had already been in the work world for 20 years and had had incredible measures of success leading huge companies. And as I started working with them again and again, these people, whether it's college students or, or um, local business person or coach or a doctor or a teacher or these CEOs, executives, and world leaders would say, I'm terrified when I get up in front of people. Is there anything I can do? So we work on this again and again and again. And I started just saying some of the same things, some of the same strategies. And I started compiling them together. And ultimately, I developed kind of a lesson that I would work on. And I thought, you know, what if I just put this into a book? And one of my clients challenged me to do so. And so I just wrote this book helping people really overcome fear of speaking. But what I really realized is that those strategies that I write and speak with no fear almost could be titled live with no fear. That there's these strategies are not just about when you're up on stage, but these strategies are about life. So that's how the, the genesis of the book came about. And then I, I spent 30 days writing it. I just every single day at 5 a.m. I'd spend an hour and sometimes I'd spend time in the evenings as well. And I just took all this stuff that was boiling up inside me, put it out there on paper and wrote, speak with no fear. Wow. And how may this book be different than other books out there about fear, about overcoming? Yeah. 
I think this this one is very different because I talk a lot about different stories that happened to me, and one of the one of the aspects of being a pastor for years and preaching on stages where the room has you know three thousand five hundred chairs, or whether the room had seventy five chairs, I I've always brought in a lot of that personality opened up just like I did with my story. So there's there's a lot of these just relatable little tidbits and stories of where I talk about where, hey, I'm right there with you. Um, so that's one of the aspects that sets it apart. It's not just, hey, this is the explanations. Here's how to go about this. It's really relatable. And a lot of people have responded to me on Twitter or they've found me on Instagram or LinkedIn. And they've said, I read your book. And I really feel like I know you. Uh, one person reached to me out to me from across the world, literally the other side of the world in the Middle East, and said, wow, I feel like I already know you. So that's one of the huge things that's different about this. The other aspect is that a lot of books talk about public speaking in different ways, uh, but they really get into the mechanics. And while I touch on the mechanics, I really go into the mindset I really believe that mindset is where fear dwells, not in mechanics. You can get all the mechanics right and still be full of fear. But if you adjust your mindset, then the mechanics will follow. And so I have some books coming out that I'm working on that are more mechanical. I have a book that I'm releasing this month called How to Write a Speech. And that's really mechanical, less anecdotal, less stories about myself, and more like, okay, do this, do this, and do this. But this book is, hey, I want you to see that if you change your mindset, then the mechanics will follow. And then the third way that I think this is really different in terms of, of walking through with people is that I get vulnerable in it. And I tell you, I've been there. Sometimes we learn from people who, who have not learned what we have to learn. <laughs> so if you go and talk to somebody who's just a natural at basketball and you say, teach me how to, how to play basketball, <laughs> then they might have a hard time because they're just so natural. But if you teach, if you go up and say, teach me how to play basketball, and you ask someone who was not good and became great, then they're going to be able to show you a path towards becoming great yourself. And really, that was my yeah. story, that I was terrified in public speaking. And in Mexico, I had some horrific experiences where I was so different than everybody else that, that I stood out, and I couldn't just blend in. And so I was made fun of as I was learning to speak. Spanish and and I had these traumatic experiences where everybody in the class is laughing at me and it haunted me for a while. So I talk about that in the book and I talk about that's actually one of the strategies. <laughs> so that's where it's really different is it's vulnerable. It's a, hey, I've been there and I'm not there now. And it's also mindset versus mechanics. And then it's also really relatable where people feel like, hey, I, I get you. I can understand this. And I could see myself in the story that you're writing. I really like that you said it's for everyday life it, because it's in, and you said that it's relatable. It isn't every day that all of us are given an opportunity to speak in public. It's not every day that we're given an opportunity to go before people and speak. But this book is not only for those who have those opportunities, but it's for everyone. This book is for every person. It's so important to overcome fear. It's so important to learn how to step outside of our comfort zones 
And for myself being a missionary in my life, like I have to step out of my comfort zone to be a missionary. If I didn't, what's the point of being a missionary? You know, like you have to step out of your comfort zone. And so whatever it is in your life that you have to step out and to do, maybe it's something simple. Maybe it's just to say something to someone, whatever it is in your life, this book is for you. This book is for everyone, not just for the business people, the people who have to public speak all the time. So thank you. Yeah, that's, I like that. The mechanics versus the, the mindset. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right with that. In fact, even as I wrote it, you know, as a pastor preaching to diverse audiences, you're always thinking, okay, how, how do I make this message something that's relevant to every single person in the audience? And sometimes it's easier than others. But even in the book, that's what I was trying to do at times. And so even putting this into, hey, you might not have a speech coming up, but this right here, this strategy is really relevant to you as a parent. Uh, say you're a dad, this is really relevant to you. One of the strategies that I talk about is it's not about you. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great strategy for public speaking. And I can get into that in a little bit, but it's a great, it's a great strategy for life. It's not about you. If you focus on loving your, your, your son and playing with your son when you're, when you're tired, even if you don't feel like it, but you think, man, it's not about me. That's going to help you be a better dad. It's going to help you be a better spouse. It's going to help you be a better student. It's going to be a help you be a better friend. It's really going to help you in all areas of life. So these strategies, really overcoming public speaking is was the the main draw. But I kept on thinking like a pastor saying, how can I make this relevant to others? So some of my friends have picked up the book and thought, you know, I don't do a lot of public speaking and I'm not really nervous, but <laughs> hey, this is great. Mm -hmm. In fact, some of the reviews on Amazon where people picked up the book and said, Hey, I, I picked this up because of, you know, whatever reason. And then I found it so relevant to this area. I do have a quick question yes. and then I'll go back into the strategies, but I saw on your Instagram, there was a, something about picking the, t like the cover of the book. Yeah. So I did a cover contest for, for this and I hired three different graphic designers to come up with three different ideas and, and the one that won was actually not my favorite. So <laughs> Everybody else won over me, but I've really come to like my orange cover. It says right in the front, you know, speak with no fear, got a microphone. Mm -hmm. So as I'm, I'm working on two other books right now, and I really wanted it to be a series. So the the next one, I thought, okay, I'm going to either have a, an orange or a yellow or a black. And so I, I put it out there so people could vote on it. So you could go to mm -hmm. my Instagram, Mr.MikeAcker, Mr.MikeAcker. And, and find that post and, and do that. Or you could go to my or my webpage, mikeacker.com, and there's a link on there too. And ultimately, all of those color schemes have been very popular. So I think there's going to be a book with every one of those color schemes. <laughs> I mentioned that because when I saw the book, the cover, I was intrigued. I was like, you know, I do public speaking myself. But if I didn't, like that book is just intriguing for some reason. Maybe it is the color scheme, you know, whatever it is. But I just wanted to say I like it a lot. And I was curious how you how you landed on that. So yeah, very good. And with the seven strategies, your book breaks down seven different strategies to overcome our fear. Yeah, definitely. So let me read them first and then I'll just unpack them a little bit for our audience here today. Yeah, sounds great. And really hopefully that you can grab a hold of one of these. Don't try to remember any of them, all of them. <laughs> remember one of them at least, but don't try to remember all of them. Try to grab one of them, maybe introduce that one into your life today in whatever you do. And then think about what one would be relevant for you in public speaking. So the seven strategies are, one, uncover and clean the wound. Two, imagine the worst. 
three, you be you, four, speak to one, five, it's not about you, six, channel the power, and seven, be in the moment. So these are seven strategies, seven different mindsets, seven different ways that we can overcome and compensate for the fear of public speaking or for the fear of being up in front of people, the fear of leading the sense of being inadequate or in other areas of life. Let me unpack these. The first one is uncover and clean the wound. And in this strategy, I really get very vulnerable. And I start with this one on purpose. I talk about how some of the pain of being in front of people in Mexico and to the point where every single person is laughing at me, including the teacher, as I give a presentation, and the pain of being so different and standing out really got up inside of me and really became this awkwardness where if I gave a, a, gave a, a speech or anything, I wasn't thinking of, of giving it confidently. I was just trying to, I leaned into being a class clown, but I wasn't presenting. I didn't do good as a speech. So when it finally came time in college where I was giving real speeches, I, I had these like flashback moments where everybody's going to laugh at me, but this time I can't lean in and laugh along. As a, as a way to deal with this as a coping mechanism. So I really went into my own psyche, and ultimately I went to some counseling sessions and really dove into some of that wound and that pain, that experience, because every single time I'd get up in front of people, it was like that wound was getting scratched again. It was an infected wound, and no one could get close to it. By the way, I've seen this in people again and again. As a pastor, I counsel people with this exact same advice, and then I applied it over to public speaking. There's so many areas in our life which we have a wound, and we never heal it. It scabs over, but still inside, it's this mess. And what happens? Well, with counseling, you have to go in. You have to uncover, clean out that wound. You got to disinfect it so that it can heal over properly, not just a scab, but a heal. And over the course of time, that that scar fades. And that's what public speaking, it's relevant to public speaking where you say, you know, this is why I'm terrified. That's often the question I ask people. Why are you afraid of public speaking? Well, you know, I don't really know. No, tell me, like, what happened? Go into Go into your past. When did you fail in front of people? When did you feel embarrassed? And I've had people say, you know, my dad used to say this to me. Or, you know, when I was in junior high, a lot of it comes from junior high. And so I always tell people, uncover and clean the wound. It's fascinating to see people do this. I think the most interesting group of people that I do this with is when I work with CEOs and of, of these large companies. And they're like, yeah, I, I hate getting up in front of my team and speaking. And I'll say, why? And we'll go back through, and there's just ultimately some sense of inadequacy. And I think it's interesting because CEOs, we often think of as already having the height of success, the pinnacle of success. We're like, wow, that person's achieved this. They, they make a ton. They lead a ton of people. They're on top of the world. And, and so if that person way up there is feeling like this, oh, okay, it's not just, it's not just me. So wherever you are, as you listen to this, just take into account wherever you are, if you're afraid of public speaking, if you're afraid of or just speaking up about your testimony, dive in and uncover the reason and then clean it out. So that's the first strategy. Can you break down the speak to one? I'm really interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. 
So the speak to one uh, is the fourth strategy I write in the book. And the idea here is that when we're speaking, sometimes we look at the crowd and we get terrified. And crowds are terrifying. I mean, there's just a lot of people out there. Crowds have killed people, right? But when you get into the crowd, you find out that the crowd is composed of individuals. So it's very easy to stand up on stage and look at 50 people, 20 people, 500 people, whatever it might be, and just put them all as one group together and just say, they don't like me. One of my staff members used to say, um, everybody's upset. And I'd always say, well, who's upset? She said, everybody is. She said, I keep on dialing. And she goes, well, it's, it's John, it's Sarah. Okay, that's not everyone. It's not a crowd. It's an individual. Let's deal with it. Likewise, just like you can diffuse a situation like the one with my staff member, you can diffuse your fear by jumping in there and going, I'm not speaking to 500 people or 20 people. I'm speaking to Dallas. I'm speaking to Mike. I'm speaking to Sarah. And the more you can actually get to know that person beforehand, the less you'll feel afraid. Just recently, I spoke to 250 high schoolers, which can be terrifying alone. And I didn't know any of them. And so I beforehand, I just spent time trying to get to know them, trying to get to know what they were involved in, so that by the time I stood up on stage, I wasn't speaking to 250 high schoolers. I was speaking to a few students. Yeah, that's a good that's a good analogy, a good mindset. Would you say that that's better than the, the funny thing of picture everybody in their underwear? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I've never seen anybody work that. Um, yeah, I've never, I've always heard that. I'm like, what? That would, no. Yeah, I, now I'm curious to see where that came from because. Yeah, me too. It just seems ridiculous. I One, I think, especially as Christians, I'd say that's, that's not something <laughs> exactly. I <laughs> Definitely as a preacher, right? Like, yeah, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully no one's doing that. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. The second one I was really intrigued about was channel the power. What is, what is that one? Yeah, there's, there's a there's a nervous energy that's flowing through you when you get up in front of people. In fact, if you don't, if you're not nervous at all, when you get up in front of people, typically it's because you're very arrogant or because you just don't care because otherwise you you're nervous because you care. And when you really care about something, your, your nervous system gets going up. It boils in a little bit. So even today, after all these years, I get nervous because I still care. I care that they get the point that I'm trying to communicate. Wait a second. So you're telling me that my fear will never go away? No, you you never want your fear to go <laughs> no. away. Yeah, I know. Actually, that's what people say when I work with them, right? It, your fear never will go away. You don't want it to go away. You don't want to erase your fear. You want to ease your fear. And so the channel of power point. is ultimately about how can we ease your fear? And the way to do that is by getting out your fear elsewhere. So release it through different ways. Uh, you can release it, and I talk about different ways to release it in the book. And those are really relevant in other areas as well. I actually compare it to a dam, like a hydroelectric dam. And I say that there's, there's penstocks where these are really where you are able in the moment to channel the power. So I talk about one of the things you can do while you're speaking is to use pauses or show purpose or, or to light up with passion. You know, think of a great preacher. They'll, they'll really do that, right? They'll, they'll light up with passion. So you can use your nerves energy to turn into this really positive passion. 
but there's other ways to channel out your energy that that gets out the negative aspect. So think about spillways in a dam. There's these spillways that release extra because the dam can't hold all the water, so you have to spill out some. And so some of the ways you can spill out that extra energy before a speech is preparation. The more you're prepared, the less nervous you'll be. Exercise, literally exercising will help you get ready because you're getting out some of that energy and then learning how to breathe. Practice breathing before the speech so that in the speech you can breathe naturally without that without that nervous shallow breathing that a lot of people do. You also have this public speaking school. What is that about this program called the public speaking school? Creating confidence through communication. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, this became really a way that I could work with my clients in a less in a less regimented way and in some ways and more regimented in others. As I worked with people, I, I, again and again, people said, oh, can you tell me that again? You know, or what did you say last time we talked? And we always do these Zoom video conferences. And so I started thinking through just the content that I had in this book and then the content I'm developing in Speak With Confidence and then the book that I have launching this month on how to write a speech and really thought, where, where can I put all this, of this together where where people can go online at any point in time and go back and watch the teaching or read the teaching that we've been doing together. And it becomes a lifetime resource for them and places I can continually put more resources out there. So one idea was, okay, I got to get this course going. But I didn't think the course was enough because I know that many people sign up for a course but never complete it. So I wanted beyond the course, one-on-one coaching. So myself and one of my other coaches who has a master's in theater arts and just a great, great, great coach, we work together and we do one-on-one coaching. So when someone signs up for my public speaking school, they get the full access to the course, 55 professionally filmed videos, a lot of the content from all three books, and so much more. And then they get one-on-one coaching. They get six one-on-one coaching. But then I didn't want it just there. I wanted some kind of community where all of us were doing something together. So once a month, we do a Zoom group video conferencing. Not everybody can make it. That's fine. But I do a little bit of teaching. We work on some projects together. And we have a Facebook mastermind community together where people can post anything they want to post. So really, the publicspeaking.school, that's the domain, the publicspeaking.school, is about developing confidence through communication. And I use course, one-on-one coaching, and then this community to put this all together. And here's my premise. In three months, you will be able to give a presentation that you are proud to give. In three months, you'll be able to do it. You can do it less. You can do a little bit more. But that's how I've designed it. In three months, you'll be able to do it. And you'll have this confidence on stage that walks with you off the stage. So this confidence that you develop when you're preparing to give a speech, you'll actually see the confidence that you develop go with you into relationships, into your career and elsewhere. Because if you can learn to be confident when you're in front of others, you can be confident when you're one-on-one, when you're behind the scenes. It really helps you. If you feel like, hey, I did a great job as a, as a, as a presenter, man, then you're proud of yourself and it goes with you elsewhere. So it's been a lot of fun. I just started this summer. And we've had some incredible stories of success already. Sounds like you strategically researched and you know and did your research to make this happen. 
Yeah, I really leaned into some people who've done some really effective courses, and I took part in their course, and then I thought, you know, I could do something like that that would help other people. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast today. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for, for having me on here and for introducing me to your audience. And how can the audience find you? I'm going to um, add in your link to your book for Amazon, um, the couple other links that you mentioned in the in the podcast. How else can they reach you? Yeah, so definitely I got MikeAcker.com. That's my speaker website where people want to see. I have a little speaker reel on there, ways of contact. I have my, my coaching company, which is StepsToAdvance.com. I have... I'm on social media, so I, I got Twitter at Mike underscore Acker, and I got a LinkedIn, uh, and then um, yeah, I got Instagram. So I got all those different ways that people can follow me. But really, MikeAcker.com can lead you to all of those different locations, including the book. But I would love for you to pick up the book. would love for people to be encouraged that way. And if it's helpful, I always ask people to give a review because it helps me know how I'm doing for my next books, and it helps other people know that Others found it helpful, so it can be helpful to them. Yeah. Guys, invest in yourself. Buy this book. Look into the courses. Um, Mike is very easy to find on social media. I looked him up the other day. Um, he's very easy to find. Just type in his first and last name. Visit his website. Visit um, all those different things that he's given us. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you today, Mike. Thank you so much. And if you could just close us out in a prayer, I would appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Dallas. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to speak to with Dallas to this group. And I pray that the different areas that we're struggling, that we feel maybe inadequate, maybe we feel like imposter, maybe we feel like a failure, maybe we feel like we're just not where we want to be. Maybe it's nothing negative, but we just feel like we are not reaching our full potential. I pray that we would take some strategic steps forward and that you would empower us, that you would lead us, and that we would become and live out the life that you've called us to have. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.